Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Amen. We're in Luke chapter 11, and... I wanted to do a two-part study on not giving up. We see a couple of times in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus encouraged the disciples to persist in prayer and not give up. And Luke 11 is one study, and we're going to look at that, but it's a different context than Luke 18. And so Pastor Ed, by the way, I'm Pastor Bob Claycamp, and one of the assistant pastors here. And just FYI, that and, you know, two bucks will get you a hamburger at McDonald's. <laughs> so um, part two will be next month on March 16th. And so I'll be, I'll be doing part two then. And that uh, has to do with, um, Luke, Luke 18 has to do with, how to persevere when things are just so wrong and unjust. Persecution and, and things that are said about you that aren't true and unfair and are slamming your character and get you into um, not just trouble, but repercussions in life that you can't get out of, and it's a lie. For the sake of the gospel even, how do you persevere to the coming of the Lord? That's the context of Luke 18. And it has to do with not giving up, persevering in prayer. But tonight, we're doing part one, and that's persevering in times of need. And we all come into times of need. God allows times of need to minister to our heart because our flesh is just right there, ready to take the credit every time things work out. We're going to face times of need, different kinds of things. You know, nothing stays the same. Everything's for a season. And sometimes we get so afraid that it's going to end that we, that we create this anxiety of mind and all of a sudden, you know, we can't even enjoy the good times because we're, we're afraid of when the next brick is going to drop. God wants us just to enjoy him in the midst of our day because today is the only day that matters. He's going to take care of the future. He's already forgiven you. Enjoy him today and just see what he wants you to learn today. It's a day-by-day Christian walk, Christian experience. When you're reading through the gospel and you observe Jesus in his prayer life, It's interesting that when you combine all four Gospels, you find ten places where it's recorded that he spent time in prayer. The first one was in Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says he spent all night praying after healing Peter's mother-in-law. The second time is all night prayer before selecting the twelve apostles. (laughs) He needed to spend all night figuring out 
really? These guys, Father? You know, all night in prayer before selecting the 12 apostles. That's Luke chapter 6, verse 12. The next place we see chronologically through the Gospels is in Luke chapter 5, verse 16. It says, he often withdrew into the wilderness to pray. The fourth place that we see him praying is, on, is in Matthew chapter 14, verse 23, praying on the mountain before coming to them walking on the water. We talked about that uh, a couple weekends ago. The fifth place that we see Jesus praying is at the transfiguration, which is in Luke chapter 9, verse 28. The sixth time we see him praying is just before asking the disciples, who do you say that I am? And that's in Luke chapter 9, verse 18. The seventh recorded time of Jesus praying is right here in Luke 11, as we'll see. The eighth time that we see Jesus praying, of course, is in John chapter 17, that great intercessory prayer of the Lord there, the whole chapter. The ninth time that we see him praying is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we see it in Matthew and Mark and Luke. And the final time we see Jesus praying, of course, was on the cross. And we see that in Matthew 27, Mark 15, and Luke 23. There was always something special and unique about Jesus praying. I think when we read about it, it's one thing, but if we could get a scratch and sniff Bible and kind of put ourselves right there, you know, 2,000 years ago and see what it was like to go camping with Jesus 24-7 for two years, because that's where we are now in Luke chapter 11. It's been two years since the disciples were called to follow him. They have been watching him and being with him for two years now. And, and this is the seventh. I'm sure that Jesus prayed more than just these times. But these are the recorded times where it distinctly says that he got alone and prayed. No one prayed like he did. There was something unique, special, and powerful about his prayers. And here they were watching. And I, I want to suggest to you that discipleship includes being with someone and watching it take place, not just going to a class and getting instruction. It's more than a university class. It's more than just these 12 weeks and then we'll give you a certificate and you're a disciple. It's a lifelong journey of learning. Yes, we are to read. Yes, we are to learn. Yes, we are to receive instruction. But there's nothing like watching it live. And you're right there with him. And just the very first verse gives us an indication that Jesus didn't put them through a structured school on how to pray. And just to sneak into it a little bit, in verse 1, it says in Luke chapter 11, Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Apparently, John the Baptist had 
an instruction on how to do uh, the kind of praying that could reach God. But it seems like Jesus hadn't put the disciples through that. His discipleship was living it out, speaking what he heard the Father speak and doing what he saw the Father do. Discipleship. There's nothing like 24-7 watching. I mean, this was Jesus, the Son of God. Man, I mean, just can't imagine that kind of dynamic. Although it was difficult because... uh, you, you never knew what was going to happen from day to day. I mean, you, you know, um, if you're a real bean counter and a program guy and, and you want everything, that, yes, that's just not how it was following Jesus. You just never knew what the next day was going to be. So you just had to learn to walk by faith and trust him and then see what happened. And at the end of the day, you just go, that was amazing, you know, and then try to sleep and then get up again. It was after Jesus had ceased praying that one of his disciples asked the Lord to teach them to pray, not as, and as John taught his disciples. Maybe, the, you know, they were referring, because um, we look at John chapter 1, and there were, uh, I think, five that are mentioned that were there with John the Baptist um, when Jesus came back after the uh, Mount of Temptation. So this evening, what we want to do is put ourselves right in the middle of this and be one of his disciples. Be right there. I remember when I came to Christ at age 18, I was, I was just done with the hypocrisy of the church. I mean, I've been raised in church, and I didn't want anything like that. It was, I saw right through it. I didn't want to be like that. But if I was going to be a believer, I wanted to be like these guys. I wanted to to learn firsthand from him, you know, in red letters, I thought, oh, it's red, you know, and it must be the blood of Christ, and, you know, just kind of reading into it and all, and then I picked up a Bible that didn't have red letters, and it just didn't have any power, you know, I was so focused on that, but being with Jesus, I want the real deal, I want it real, I don't want to pretend, I want, if this is real, it's got to be the real deal, I'm not playing games. That was my mindset there. And so look at verse 1. This is the request that's made. And it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. And you know, as, as Luke is writing this, he doesn't seem that it's that important to point out where. Sometimes we think, oh, If I just get into the woods, if I just get in the midst of trees and hear the birds singing, then God is really there. Well, guess what? God is no more there than he is in the International Space Station right now because he fills all things. God is not more in one place than another place. He is omnipresent. He is here tonight. The fullness of God is here tonight. But what blocks our heart from sensing it? Distractions, anxieties, concerns over how that's going to work out, and our mind gets filled, and our, and our emotions respond, and it seems like, where are you, God? Well, he's just like right here. 
As a matter of fact, if you're a believer, he lives in you. You can't get any, you can't get any closer than being inside you. He's inside your, your, he's connected with your spirit. And he's not going to leave you. He doesn't timeshare you with the devil. Okay? You're not a condo. You're owned by him. You're his possession. Lord, teach us to pray. Not how to pray, but to pray. After two years of watching him and seeing the power of Jesus, they're going, somehow fill us in. How does this work? I mean, we've been watching, we've been participating. Help us here, Lord. I like what John Bunyan said. You know John Bunyan that wrote Pilgrim's Progress? He writes, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. And isn't it true that sometimes we wait to pray until everything's been exhausted and we can't figure it out, and then we go, well, maybe I better ask God if he has an idea, you know, as if, you know, it's like, hmm, that's an interesting thought. Prayer, sometimes we've got to strip away what we think prayer is, just to let the Lord rebuild it into reality. Some of us grew up in church where prayer was quite a formality. And everything had to be a form and everything had to be said a certain way and a certain number of times. And that became kind of like a sense of, of uh, assurance that if I said this the right way a certain number of times, everything would go well for the next few hours. And, you know, it's really not like that. that that's not Jesus' point in this whole chapter. I remember when I was in Phoenix hearing this, this preacher on the radio, and I was heading to lunch, you know, and he says, if you'll just pray, if you'll just praise the Lord 10 times, say it 10 times in a row, and if you say it 10 times in a row, the blessings will fall from heaven on you. And I went, click, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to get involved with that. Well, well, what if I like got distracted and only did nine? I missed the blessing, I have to start over. I mean, you're, you're looking at the form instead of the God that you're talking to? What if your kids came up to you and just dealt with you like sometimes well-meaning Christians have, uh, are dealing with God in, in just a formality? That would be awkward. That would be heartbreaking. Jesus addressed this. Actually, he quoted from Isaiah in chapter 9, 29, verse 13. Uh, Isaiah prophesied, Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Prayer is not a mantra, something you say a few times and then it creates something magical. That's not what it is. It's open, honest, heartfelt communication with the God of the universe who wants us to call him Father. He wants us to relate to him as Father. How do you relate to the God, the creator of all things? 
heaven and earth. He says, I want you to relate to me as father. And Jesus emphasizes that. And that's an important point as we are praying and beginning to communicate to God. It's one thing to hear the instruction on prayer. It's quite another thing to have witnessed firsthand Jesus. And now as he's talking to them here. And look at verses 2 through 4. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now remember, we're two years into discipleship here. Now we know from the Gospel of Matthew that in chapter 6, on the Sermon on the Mount, we see this same model prayer that Jesus presented to his disciples. But understand that the Gospel of Matthew is not perfectly chronological. Matthew and his desire to to uh, write a gospel, especially to his uh, Jewish brethren, to show that Jesus indeed was the promised Messiah, the son of David. And so he, he starts off and he takes a major collection of the teachings of Jesus and puts them there on that account. But we know even from Luke's gospel that Jesus said many of these things at other times as well as he's teaching the crowds. But here it's two years later, and he says, fellas, let's keep it simple. And the reason I say that is because at the time of Jesus, prayers were so detailed and minute, and everything had to be perfectly done, and at a certain time, and you better get it right, or God won't hear. I mean, there was such pressure in Jesus' day that the religious leaders, the Pharisees especially, and the scribes, they felt that if, if every Jewish person on earth would just perfectly perform the law, one day the Messiah would come. And so if one person bailed, then it just ruined it for everybody. That's called trying to rely on works for salvation. I want to suggest to you this model prayer has seven points. And it all centers around God, not around us. Follow me with this. Seven points. First of all, God's person. And this forms the foundation for the talk. Just think of it as like building a house. It's the foundation. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And that's God's person. Hallowed be your name means may your name be held in the highest regard because you are holy. Let it be set aside like no other name. And Jesus is saying, I want you fellas to relate to God as your Father. But 
let's, let's say our father because he's your brother's father as well. You're not just on this alone and you're not having a unique place. We're in this community of believers. Our father in heaven, he's not limited to earth. Hallowed be your name. So the foundation, number one, is God's person. The second uh, part in this is God's purposes. And these are going to be all P's, so you can easily write that down and remember it. God's purposes. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my kingdom come, not my will be done, but your kingdom, your overreaching purposes in all things, and your specific purposes in the detail. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the foundation, God's purpose. The next layer, God's purposes. And then we get to God's provision. Give us day by day our daily bread. And I want to tell you, with, with God's person as a foundation and God's purposes, you know, I want his done. Then when it comes to you, you go, God you have purposed a daily portion for me. And yet we're not satisfied with daily portion. We want weekly portion at least, you know. What's the daily portion? Don't go beyond food. How about God's daily portion of mercy? God's daily portion of grace? God's daily portion of his presence? that he'd open up your eyes, that you would see the divine appointments he might be setting up in front of you. This is your daily portion, your daily manna. And what it does is it addresses kind of um, this issue of covetousness where you're wanting more and more and more and you're going, you know, God, you will put into my today what I will ever need for today. Now, what about tomorrow? You'll take care of tomorrow because it's a day-by-day life with you, discipleship. And so you're releasing the future to God. You're not releasing it into the ozone. You're releasing it to God. And you're saying, God, you promised daily portion. So help me just be satisfied with the daily portion. Yeah, but I got bills due. What's your daily portion? Is the bill due today? Well, no, it's due next week. Well, okay, next week is fine. Daily portions. I remember putting together, oh my gosh, when we were going through a difficult time, one of the main difficult times, um, you know, you, you have your ledger sheet. You've got your income and you've got your expenses. And so I dated the expenses of when they were due, how much they were due, and then I'm, I'm drawing a line because the income's done. Well, what about all these? Well, I've got to trust that God is able to bring in what's needed, when it's needed. And thank him for today. And, and I rem- it was a whole year like that. 
And I'm going, where are we going to get this? I don't know. And you're, and you're thinking, and you're, what can I sell? You know, can I sell my kids? Can I sell? I mean, where, how can I? I mean, I mean, you're just, you're desperate. You sell the car and, you know, sell the clothes. And I mean, all, all of this. And you're trying to work it out. Stop it. Stop trying to work it out. Present it to the Father. Take it and, and just say, okay, Lord, here it is. These are my needs, but I'm not going to get wrapped up in, in anxiety. I'm going to trust you. And so let's just take it. We're not at the line yet. It is tomorrow, <laughs> but we're not there yet. And you go to the mail and you look for like special envelope and all you get is like renew your car warranty, you know, some ridiculous advertisement. Trust God for his provision. That's number three. That's the third layer. This is a seven-layer cake, by the way, okay? The fourth layer, God's pardon. Forgive us our sins. Do you know how much freedom is mentioned there and implied there? Forgive us our sins. When the reality of God's forgiveness hits your heart, it sets you free. There is freedom connected. And, I mean, it's a simple prayer, forgive us our sins, but the implication is dramatic. But God's pardon, number four, is, is followed by God's prerequisite. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and the word indebted is tied to sins against us. Have you been offended by somebody? Duh, we all have. Have you been offended? Are you holding unforgiveness because of what they've done to you and what it has caused in your life? Jesus is saying here, he's tying this pardon together with this prerequisite. Oh, forgive us our sins, Lord, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. You know, in the, in the parable that Jesus gave of the unforgiving servant, and you can read that um, in the Gospels, and I want you to notice that the servant that owed his master like 10,000 talents, which, were, which is like a billion some dollars. I mean, there's no way in life he could ever pay it back. And they had debtor's prison back in those days. And debtor's prison wasn't just you're sitting in the cell. Debtor's, debtor's prison is you work hard, breaking rocks, so to speak, you know, and, and to try to work off, pay off your debt. Plus, it destroys your family. It destroys your future. Going to debtor's prison was the worst. It absolutely caused a collapse in the family. And the Lord of that servant had mercy on him when the servant said, please have mercy on me and I'll pay you everything, which was an impossibility. And the Lord of the servant had compassion and forgave him the debt. And so uh, legally, officially, there is no longer a debt. And then that servant went to a fellow servant that owed him a few talents, which equaled like $17,000, let's say. 
pay me what you owe. And the guy said, be patient with me, I'll pay you. And he wouldn't and, and turned him in and put, threw him in debtor's prison. And the master of the, of the forgiven servant came to him and called him a wicked servant and caused him to be thrown into debtor's prison until he should pay whatever was due the master. Now, remember, the debt was forgiven. So what was due the master now? A forgiving heart. And he wouldn't come out of the prison until... Well, actually, he wouldn't come out from the tormentors until there was a forgiving heart. Think of that. Do you know that unforgiveness and bitterness is torment? And it has an effect on our bodies, our mental state, our physical state, and our spiritual state. But I can't forgive them. Lord, you know what they've done. You have to keep going back to what he has done for you. Because until you, you come to that place by the grace of God where you can let go and release them in forgiveness, there's a cost. There's always a cost. It's been said, we've said this a few times, holding unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart against somebody is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. We're the ones that get affected by it. And so if you're sensing in your heart areas of unforgiveness, and I think we all wrestle with that. We all have areas, you know, some large, some small. The Lord wants us to come to the place of freedom in our, in our hearts, inside. And, you know, just the memory of that person or that event just causes you to get anxious and to get stirred up. That means that it hasn't been settled. It doesn't mean you're going to be their best friend. It doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to be how it was before. But you need to be free in your heart. And God wants that or Jesus wouldn't have said it. That's part of discipleship. It's part of denying yourself, bearing your cross daily and following Jesus. God's person, God's purposes, God's provision, God's pardon, God's prerequisite, and then God's protection, number six. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, be our covering, be our protector, because that's what a father does. He protects. And he is with us even when evil strikes. It's not saying we will never experience evil. It has to do with knowing we will be protected under the, the plan and power and purpose of God, even in the midst of evil. Some of you have fallen into evil situations. And you think, where's God? If God was here, it should have all been cleared up. Because in your mind, that's how it all works. But God has a higher work. Sometimes he's got to work in you before he works through you. And we fight that because we want it the other way around. You fix this and then I'll, you know, it's like a foxhole religion. Oh, God, get me out of this, God. I'll just, you know, I'll turn into a monk. Yeah. You know, we, we just make these vows because we're so desperate. 
Jesus is trying to simplify things for his disciples who are just learning. I mean, they're also fighting about who's the greatest. I mean, you've, after three and a half years, yeah, these guys are still fighting over who's going to be the greatest. And they're at the, the Last Supper, and they're coming up with this again. He's going to go to the cross, and it's like they don't get it. I mean, if, if, if I were Jesus, I'm going, you know, Father, are you sure these are the right guys? But then there's the seventh one, and I take, because I like the number seven, I just decided there's really six, but I wanted to use seven. And so I look back to Matthew chapter six, verse 13, and this would be God's praise. This is the icing. God's praise. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The New American Standard has that there in Matthew 6, 13. God's person, God's purposes, God's provision, God's pardon, God's prerequisite, God's protection, God's praise. You see, the Lord's prayer is all centered on God, not upon us getting what we want. Not turning it into a mantra where you're, you're just saying it a few times and magical things will take place. You know, you're watching Frozen too much. You know, you just, you just got to understand relationship. And let me tell you, relationship with God the Father is the most important part of prayer. Getting to know him. Getting to hear his voice. Having those talks and those walks with him where it's just you and him. And as you are, 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 are talking with them and things are coming to your heart about all he's done to even bring you to himself, to adopt you into his family. He chased you down. He blocked you in, gave you faith to believe, adopted you. By the way, father also implies inheritance, protection, provision. With him as father, I mean, that's, that's how he wants us to relate to him. So Jesus gives this model prayer to his disciples, saying, fellas, this is how. You just pray. This is what brings the power and the presence about between you and God. Keep these priorities. And then he gives a parable, which is true to life in those days, but not so much now. But it's true to life in those days because it ties in with what he just said. Let's look at it. The illustration, verses 5 through 8. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. What are you from Subway? You know, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on this journey and I have nothing to set before him. Now, this is, this is true to life back in those days because hospitality was the highest form of, of a show of love, and it was the highest commitment. Hospitality trumped everything. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. By the way, the homes were very small in Israel in this time. And sometimes it was like you might call it a studio. And so the whole family 
were living in the studio. And it was nothing. It was important, you know, for the kids to be sleeping in the same bed with the parents because everybody needed to keep warm. It's not like they had central heating. I mean, you know, they had their, their fire, but it was cold. And so being all together, I mean, in some parts of the country, some parts of the world, this is still the case. The children sleep with their parents in the bed. Everybody is there, and it creates this bonding, you know, this family bonding. I don't even allow my dog on the bed, you know, I, you know, having all these kids. My kids are with me in bed. Now, interesting here. This guy is saying, it's inconvenient. I'm comfortable. Don't bother me. Convenience, comfort, complacency. And they're friends, and so he can do this. But listen to what Jesus said here. Verse 8, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many loaves as he needs. And this story is true to life. It's not just some fanciful thing, even though we have difficulty relating to it. But it creates the emphasis upon how the Lord wants us to keep coming to him and not giving up. That's why he says in verse 9, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who seeks, who asks, receives And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. It's interesting in this, it's not that God is reluctant to answer, but there's a timing involved. There's a timing involved. And the terms ask, seek, and knock in the Greek verb tense are continuous. Ask, asking. Seek, seeking. Knock, knocking. Don't give up. God is fulfilling the timing. Why hasn't he answered your prayer? Could it be that he's looking to bring a full blessing? Could it be that he's trying to sort things out in your heart and have you really focusing on what's really important? I mean, take a look at how he's worked in the past. Man, there are some prayers I'm so glad he didn't answer. I'm so glad he just delayed. I mean, there's silence. There's no yes, no, nothing, nothing. It's a a timing issue. Would you just trust me that I am good? Would you trust me that I will do the right thing with you because I know your heart? Can you just trust me? But I want you to keep asking because it's you and me. It's the relationship factor. 
And then he says in verse 10, everyone who asks. So it's not one person that has a special like inside with Jesus and inside with the Father. And you go to, you go to them, you really get your prayers answered. And, and by the way, your pastor is not more close to God than you are. God has an individual relationship with every one of you who have turned your life over to Christ. And the power of the Holy Spirit is available right now. I want to point out something here. The end of this seems like some random statement out of context. If you then being evil, evil compared to the goodness of God, know how to give good gifts to your children. I mean, you wouldn't mock them by giving them a stone if they asked for bread and they were hungry. You wouldn't um, threaten their life by giving them a poisonous serpent when they asked for a uh, fish. And of course, you, if they asked for an egg, you wouldn't give them a scorpion. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, wait a minute. You just said, whatever I ask for, you'll give. And so now you're telling me that what I really need to ask for is the Holy Spirit. And the answer is yes. Because here's the truth. When the Holy Spirit fills your heart and your mind, everything sorts out. Everything settles. You get perspective like uh, taking um, a, a camera and just zooming out and getting the perspective of what's really important in your life, what's really important in my home. The power of the Holy Spirit to see you through what's needed and to uh, see you through the timing. The Heavenly Father wants to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. You don't have to work for Him. You don't have to do gymnastics to work Him up. It's not a thing where you just go, Oh, Lord, I want the Holy Spirit. Give me the Holy Spirit. And you have to, you have to work it up and get your emotions. And pretty soon you see stars because you're hyperventilating. Yet the Holy Spirit does have an effect on your life. Ask asking, seek seeking, knock knocking. What are you to really ask for? God, give me your spirit to give me perspective and power and your presence. That's where the power in prayer comes from, not from the form not from saying, God, I'll get up at three every morning and I'm going to pray for an hour and a half, Lord. You, you just watch. Uh, what, we, what you're going to watch is failure. <laughs> I, mean, I lived through that. I lived uh, reading books on prayer. Oh, these, these guys are intense. I can do this. And, and, and you know, I, constant failure and then condemnation for about five days afterwards because I'm such a jerk and failure. You know, Ephesians 6 or 18 says this. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Wow, what a verse. Let me read it again. 
Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. God invites us to participate with him in our prayers with a true heart and true actions, seeking his will on earth as it is in heaven. Don't give up praying. I know some of you are praying for your kids because they're wayward and you're just, your heart is just broken, broken, broken. And you just feel like giving up because the harder you pray, the worse they get. And you're thinking, well, maybe the less I pray, the better they'll get. Well, that's a wrong reasoning. Keep praying for them and release them. And don't get a hard heart against them because their evil hurts you so much. Because eventually, God will do his work, his way, his time. But can you endure to the end? Can you wait years? Can you keep praying years for your wayward child? You can in the power of the Holy Spirit but you're going to give up if you don't rely on him. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God's spirit can bring you to freedom. He can bring you to forgiveness of the people that have offended you, people that have made your life difficult and hard. But you got to do it his way, with his power. I'm speaking out of personal experience. He can do it, and he's not done. Let's pray. Father God, what a section of Scripture. We so desperately need to know you. We so desperately need to be free. Lord, deliver us from trusting in forms and bring us to the place of true, honest, heartfelt, personal communication with you and listening to you, taking your word at its its face value and, and obeying it. God, heal, heal the hearts that have been so broken by offenses. Help us all, Lord, to come to the place of releasing those who have offended us, releasing them to you that you might heal our heart. Nothing is impossible with you, Father. You have stated that again and again in your word. And it's true for us today, right now. So we give this to you, trusting you, trusting your word, bring these things back to our remembrance. And we lift them up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223 
or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.